church say amen. Y'all mind if I get out this mic real quick? Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Praise God. You know, it's always good to be able to go into a house where, where people don't mind bellowing out praise unto God. Y'all know we're not the frozen chosen, right? And so it's good to be in a place where, where worship and praise is evident because you hear the sound of praise coming from the people of God. But I know some of you might be wondering, well, why was she, why was she shouting so much? Well, if you connect the song with the word of God and the season of Advent, you weren't just going through the motions, lighting candles, thinking about love and peace and, and joy. But perhaps she was thinking about the fact that during the season of Advent, God was proven once again to be true. Because the prophet of Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 9. He said in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace and maybe she was just thinking when she heard wonderful 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 that this mighty God Jesus Christ the baby in the manger who was never in danger is no stranger to his children and maybe she was thinking that, that perhaps it is, it is Jesus Christ and him alone that makes us right before a holy God. Now you can sit here with your, your frown not turned upside down. Or, or you can just contemplate the fact that, that when you weren't fit to live, but, but you weren't ready to die, Jesus Christ died in your place. You see, all of us should have bust the bottom out of hell. But Jesus Christ paid our bail. All of us weren't worthy of the lamb to be slain. But nevertheless, he said, not my will, but his will be done. If you know that he's wonderful, just say wonderful. If you know that he's mighty, just say mighty. Because he is the mighty God. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Everlasting Father. And He is, He is our joy. I greet you all in the matchless name of Jesus the Christ. And I'm thankful for the blessed privilege to open up God's word once more here at Force. 
you have been a friend to our ministry, Tracy and I. You have been a friend to our ministry for many years, allowing us to come alongside the church and lead within the, the, the marriage enrichment retreats that we've had, and as well as to come here and to lead in Bible study and preaching and even working alongside you as it related to your transition from one pastor Actually, two pastors to the next. That's I, get, I guess that's how far I go back. Amen. Because the first time I preached in this pulpit, John was the pastor. But, but he's not the pastor right now. Amen. God still takes care of his church. From Jamal, from John to Jamal to Nate. He's still taking care of his church. Because the church is alive and well. Amen. Listen, I have an assignment this morning, and I'm thankful for the privilege of proclamation, and I'm thankful for this particular word that God has placed on my heart. And I told Pastor Nate, I never feel adequate to preach his word. But this is one of those sermons where I really wish someone else could preach it. Amen. But the assignment fell on me. And I do pray that God's word will strengthen you even as we take a look at the book of Philippians and somewhat walk through the book of Philippians in order to better understand joy. Amen? Joy. Let's read uh, a few verses here in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7. And I need you to understand that even in this passage, my highlight will be walking through this theme of joy in the book of Philippians, okay? So hear the word of the Lord. You know this passage. You've heard it before, but I want you to hear it with with a fresh ear and to see it with fresh eyes. Amen? Hear the word of the Lord. I'm reading from the NIV. And the writer, Paul, writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. For a little while this morning, I want to talk to you from this thought, fighting for joy in an age of cynicism. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Fighting for joy in an age of cynicism. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege, God, that you've given us to worship and to experience your grace and your word one more time. Father, we thank you that the 
that the person and work of Jesus Christ was accomplished, God, when he died on the cross in our place. And his penal substitution, God, satisfied the righteous demands, the wrath of God, so that we would not experience your wrath if we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Christ. Lord, we're thankful that the Holy Spirit who regenerates us or makes us alive so that we might see the beauty of the gospel and come running asking what must we do to be saved. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit has sealed every believer until the day of redemption. That our salvation is secure, not because of our goodness, but because of the good work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And his death, his burial, and his resurrection has given us a right to the tree of life. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would minister your grace to us, that you would highlight your joy today, even as we listen to your apostle Paul preaching and teaching and explaining your truth through this letter to the church at Philippi. Lord, we need your grace in Jesus' name, amen, and thank God. Fighting for joy in an age of cynicism. American Christianity is not on the rise. It's on the decline. Churches are struggling to reach a lost and a dying world with the gospel because many of us don't believe that the gospel actually makes a difference in our homes, on our jobs, or in our community. The divorce rate amongst Christians is almost 70%, which tells me that when it comes to fighting for joy in the midst of sorrow within the home, that many of those who profess the name of Christ are handling the situation just like those who do not know Christ. Uh, Y'all know what it means to be a fair weather fan, don't you? It, it means that you, uh, you root for your team when they're up, but when your team is down, you, you, you're not around. But there are a lot of individuals who are fair weather fans when it comes to what it means to be faithful to the cause of Christ. And that fair weather friendship is, is not conducive to what it would look like for us to be a band of baptized believers who are called by God to exercise joy in an age full of cynicism. You see, beloved, people are not busting down our doors in America to hear the gospel that we preach. If some people decide to attend the church, it is normally to fill a scorecard that says, I want to send some timber up to that great mansion or house in the sky. I mean, we show up so that we can send up some, some timber, beloved, but, but the problem with that idea is that's not why we gather together as a body of Christ. You see, beloved, you're not sending up ten, timber if Jesus Christ said that he goes to prepare a place for you. You see, you can't send up timber and, and create a mansion in the sky that you don't have authority over. 
the mansion was created by the one who went before you. And he says that in this house or this mansion, there are many rooms and you and I should be of good cheer because he has prepared that place. In other words, the cheer that Christ was focused on was a cheer that comes from a heart filled with joy. You see, beloved, our pursuit of God has little to do oftentimes with inner joy found in our union with Christ. You see, we allow people's disappointment in us to create disappointment in ourselves. If I've said it once, I've said it again. We, we navel gaze, which causes us not to give him praise. And the more you and I allow the circumstances of life to cause us to navel gaze, we cannot give them praise. And people who do not know Christ will say, well, you're just like me. Instead of depending on the spirit, when you have pain in your life, you run into the spirits. Oh, do I need to say that again? Y'all know those little stores. They, uh, they say got some spirits <laughs> and they ain't talking about the spirit of Christ. Amen. Because pain in our lives was evident. We see it all the time. And when pain enters into your story, pain enters into my story, the question is, do I have joy or am I simply happy? Because you know happiness is oftentimes based on your happenings, but joy is found in the one who actually says he is your joy. You see, joy is not simply an emotion in the scripture. No, joy is based on the one who is ontologically joy. His very essence and his being is joy. You see, if I'm honest, the holiday season is not always the most wonderful time of the year, despite what the commercials try to sell us. It's the most Wonderful time of the year. Y'all know the song. Y'all be dancing at the house. But the reality is, as you well know, statistics claim that the suicide rate is 121 deaths per day and more than 44,000 per year. And it seems that the number increases during the Christmas season. And the question that we need to ask is, why is the suicide rate and depression and hopelessness oftentimes increasing during a season that's supposed to be filled with joy? Well, here's my sneaky suspicion. I, I, I suppose that the reason being, beloved, is because Christmas causes people to dwell on their losses rather than their gains. Is it a relational loss? Is it a financial loss? Is it, is it a, a, a loss of a loved one or a spouse? We oftentimes find ourselves dwelling on what we have lost as opposed to what we have gained. And beloved, when you read the book of Philippians, Paul the apostle is going to point us to what we have gained, not what we have lost. In fact, he's going to talk about losses, but it's going to be concerning the things that the world thought he should brag about. 
And he says, I count all those things as a loss because those things are nothing compared to what I've gained in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3. You see, Greg Forster in a book titled The Joy for the World, how Christianity lost its cultural influence and can begin rebuilding it. Here's what Forrester explains. He says that Christmas, as he was growing up, was always a big deal to him as a child. But he grew up in an unbelieving home so that they never made the focus about Jesus. They simply made the focus about one another. I mean, they had all kinds of presents under the tree. (laughs) They had the stockings filled with, with, with gifts, and they were never focused about Jesus, but he always had joy in the artifacts that he saw during the Christmas year. He even enjoyed the songs. He would sing, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. He's singing those songs. He, he would even sing songs, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. He would sing those songs, and he said the more he sang it, the less he realized who he was singing about. He was just going through the motions. <laughs> Have you ever been there? I, I mean, you're just going through the motions. You, you show up on Sunday morning because you know you're supposed to show up. <laughs> I mean, you show up on Monday because you know you're supposed to show up and you're just going through the motions and you're wondering, is my living in vain? But beloved, I need you to understand something that the Apostle Paul is going to show us that when you and I feel like we're just going through the motions and all of this is worth nothing, Paul is going to show us that Jesus Christ, the one who has begun a good work in us, will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to open up our eyes so that we can really see who the joy is during this season. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I was sort of like Greg Forster. And I need you to understand that when I used to see those like those advertisements, keep Christ in Christmas. Do y'all realize I never even saw that saw them? Like, we think that if we put up, you know, keep Christ in Christmas, that the world is going to see that sign. But that has become white noise to the world. We can keep saying keep Christ in Christmas, but the world will not even see the sign because that sign doesn't matter. The only sign that matters to a person who does not know Christ is a Black Friday sales sign. And beloved, I need you to understand that if we think we're going to transform a world and we got joylessness in our hearts I got good news for you it's not going to happen we as Christians have to be characterized as joy and Paul was whipping me because he was showing me that the cynicism of the world is going to make me ineffective for the cause of Christ and I'm telling you beloved on my way to heaven that if you want to engage a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ you better fight a cynical spirit you better fight it 
You better fight it, beloved. And this is why I believe that Christianity continues to lose its impact because so many of us lack the joy Christ brings to the world. I told y'all about the folks who's pursuing the spirits, but I remember when I pursued spirits rather than walking in the spirit because I felt so hopeless during the holiday. I remember when I used to bust the club doors open and left when the lights turned out. Beloved, that's because I was in pain and I felt lonely and I thought that showing up would give me satisfaction. But it was still emptiness after it was all over. You see, I was cynical and angry. And apart from Christ, I will return to a former way of living and love it. This is why God gives us his word so that we can hear his word, meditate on his word, and then apply his word so that we will not be cynical, beloved, in an age of cynicism. Because Jesus Christ is our joy. Somebody say joy. Now, when I was a little boy, even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home, my dad, he would send us to the chapel. I'm a military brat, so he sent us to chapel on Fort Seal on post. And I remember our Sunday school teacher was named Big Willie, and Big Willie used to give us this acronym for joy. He said, here's what joy is, little boy. Joy is when you put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Y'all heard that before, haven't you? And and I still remember that as a little boy now, 46, almost 47-year-old man, and when I read biblical theology and I learn about the incarnation of Christ and I learn about Advent, the fact that he's coming near, I hear the same thing, that Jesus put the world first, put himself last so that we can have true hope and peace. You see, this is what Paul is trying to help us to see. Paul wants us to understand that the reason he made his way back to the Philippians and wrote this book is because Paul reminds the Philippians church that one, that that one who has begun the work in them, as I stated, will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds his readers that the cure for cynicism is understanding that his mission is to increase our joy through union with Christ. That's the big idea. Take that home with you, okay? That, that the mission of God is to increase our joy through union with Christ. God's mission is to increase his joy in your life. Hence the reason why David said in Psalm 1611 that he, namely Yahweh, Yeshua, he has shown us the path of life, that in his presence is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand flows pleasures or mercies forevermore. He says to us that in the presence of God, we experience the fullness of joy. And yet instead of running to his presence, we run away from his presence, and we wonder why we are joyless. Y'all, two hours on Sunday morning is not going to be enough to increase the joy in an age full of cynicism. It's like believing I can do 10 crunches this morning and I'm going to have a six-pack next week. It's not going to happen, beloved. I tell people all the time, six-packs start in the kitchen. Amen. Diet. 
But the reality is Paul is helping us to see that as we read this book, the next time we're reading and praying through Philippians, Paul is is helping us to ask these questions. And here's the question that I was asking as I was reading it. Is Paul's joy contagious? Because if so, how can I catch that book? This is a bug that I want, y'all. I don't need a vaccine for this bug. I need to be infected by joy. It's the joy of the Lord changing your or my outlook on life. It's God's joy changing your outlook on life. That even though situations seem to be grim and dim, you realize that this world is not your home and you're just a pilgrim and a stranger passing through. Paul shows us this in Philippians. Did Paul's joy mean that he never battled with sorrow or fear? We know that that's not true. Paul, he struggled with sorrow. He had tears. He had sorrow because he had disappointment in his life. But even in the midst of the tears, the very individuals that Paul loved the most would turn their back on him. And you know what Paul would remind himself of? That when they turn their backs, God is faithful. This is why you need Philippians. If you want to learn what it means to experience the fullness of joy, the joy of God is the state of a flourishing in our mind, in our heart, and the life that Christians experience by the Holy Spirit. We flourish in our mind, we flourish in our hearts, and we depend on the Spirit to increase the joy from the inside out. You see, Paul knows that cynicism was a reality in the first century, and Paul knows that cynicism is a reality in the 21st century. And this is why Paul walks us through this book. You see, you might ask the question, would you keep saying cynicism, but what is cynicism? Well, here's cynicism. Cynicism is the opposite of a childlike spirit. That's what cynicism is. It is the opposite of a childlike spirit. Cynicism is the dominant spirit of our age. When a person is cynical, they always see the cup as half empty, never half full. And all of us can enter into cynicism before we least expect it when we don't have our eyes on the prize. You see, that's the counsel. The counsel this morning is for if you're going to experience your joy, you better keep your eyes on the prize. You see, how do I know Paul kept his eyes on the prize? Well, he's advancing the gospel in the midst of his chains. Verse 15, notice what Paul does. Paul says, keep your eyes on the prize before they lie. Amen? Before they lie. Did y'all hear that? Some people might lie on you. They may say some things that ain't true about you. But you better have your eyes on the prize before they lie. In verse 15, Paul says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that everywhere whether from false motives or true Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice somebody say rejoice 
How could Paul say, I rejoice when my haters are hating on me? Because Paul understood that there was one who died for his own self-hatred, Jesus Christ. So Paul's like, listen, I'm going to rejoice because the gospel is nonetheless being preached. So I'm keeping my eyes on the prize before they lie. And then Paul goes on to say, I'm keeping my eyes on the prize before we or I die. Amen. It's right there in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, wow, Paul, you said that you're focused on your gains and now you have the audacity, the mitigated gall to tell me that your very death is going to be gain. Have y'all ever heard people say, you know, uh, when you talk to them, you ask them the question. You say, well, how you doing? They say, I'm doing fine. And then they say, and then they say something like, you know, you say, well, well, if, 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 if <laughs> you say, how you doing? They say, I'm doing fine. It, it beats the alternative. That's the phrase I was looking for. Have you ever heard people say that? When they say it beats the alternative, what's coming to their minds at that moment? It could be worse, and what's worse is, now does Paul say that it beats the alternative? No, in fact, Paul says, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, Paul's saying the greatest alternative for a Christian who understands that joy is found in union with Christ is to know that their death is gain. Their death is not, is not, is not against the reward. Their death is the reward. This is what Paul is saying. He said, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. Keratos in the Greek. It means that Christ has come behind enemy lines and he has overcome the enemy and he has planted the flag that says that he is the conquering ruler over the camp. Dying is gain, beloved. And I'm not some masochist. I'm not waking up on Sunday morning or Monday saying, God, kill me today, Lord. But nor am I going to live this life thinking that my square footage and my job and my whatever is better than dying because it is not. I love my wife. I love my sons. But there's something far better than being with my wife and my sons. And that is seeing the face of Jesus Christ. And that means I got to die. Because when I'm ready to die, then I'm ready to live and whenever I'm not walking with God, it's because I'm too focused on this life and I'm not thinking about the beauty of my death. Are y'all hearing me here? The reason why the church is dying is because we continue to believe that this life is better than our deaths. Paul could write what he wrote because he accepted that death is a reality and death is real and he longed for it because he experienced true joy. Are y'all hearing this? You see, cynical people are, are argumentative and joyless. 
In chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, you see it. He says, Paul challenges the cynical spirits. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Right there, Paul reminds us that cynicism was a characteristic of his day and age. It was the spirit of his times, and we see it still in the 21st century. All you got to do is turn on. Twitter, and you'll see it. You see, cynical people always create beefs. They are creating beefs. They are looking for beef. They, they actually want to create pain in the lives of others. Every time I think about this, I think about the fact that there was a song written before I knew the Lord, and the question was, you, you got beef? He said, beef is when I see you. You're guaranteed to be an I see you. That's how he responded. And that's how the world thinks, right? But the, but the problem is when the body of Christ engages the same mindset because they're constantly creating beefs within the body as opposed to looking for unity in the bond of peace. And the reason why is because they lack joy. They lack joy. If you are argumentative, if you are constantly looking for a fight, that's because you lack joy in your heart and cynicism is dominating you and you need to let it go today. If Jesus Christ is truly your joy, you put your eyes on the prize. And so real quick, what do we see? What do we see? How do we fight this, this, this cynicism? Well, here's how we fight cynicism. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. You fight cynicism by understanding these things about Christ. Because Paul was confronting the cynicism that had began to manifest in the hearts of Euodia and Syntyche in verse 2 in chapter 4. And their cynicism caused them not to be on the same accord or in the same mind in the Lord. Even though there was one point where they ministered the gospel and advanced the gospel together. Paul is saying, if you continue down this road, abiding and devouring one another, be careful lest you destroy one another. And now Paul gives them the antidote to this cynicism. He says that if you want to experience the antidote to cynicism, you better understand joy. And how does he explain it? Verse 4, he says that the Lord is constant. That is the first thing you need to realize. Because Paul says right there, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say what? Rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made known unto all men. The Lord is near. When Paul says that the Lord is constant, he's saying that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. He is constant. If you place your eyes on your circumstances that are bound to change, you will be in and out of joy, and cynicism will become your characteristic, your disposition. But Paul says rejoice in the Lord. I hope you mark that because remember the prepositional phrase in the Lord, the object of the preposition is what? The Lord, right? Y'all mind if I teach us a little bit? 
So if the object of the of the prepositional phrase is the Lord, he does not say rejoice in and you put your name right there. Because if he said rejoice in Curtis, I can't do that always because just like you, Curtis is fickle. And if we're fickle, we need to point our hearts to the one who's faithful. So Paul says rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, again, I say rejoice. When he says rejoice, it is a command, beloved. But it's not just any kind of command. This is a command of a general precept. What does that mean? It means that you do it over and over and over again. It is repeated action. It's like the Energizer Bunny. No matter the circumstances, the Energizer Bunny keeps going and going and going and going. Try to burn him up, he's still going. Try to freeze him, he's still going. Try to throw him off the edge of a cliff, and he's still going. Why? Because the Energizer Bunny understands it's not what he faces on the outside, but it's what's going on on the inside that gives him the ability to keep going and going and going. Oh, I wish y'all read Philippians 2 with me. Because if I read Philippians 2, and then I start to remind myself, if it's not me, but it's the one who's working in me, then Philippians 2 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it's, on, it's who on, who's on the inside that gives you the ability to rejoice in the Lord always. It's not your circumstances. Because if you place your, your joy in, in, you know, how the things we rejoice in, we rejoice in what? We rejoice in romance, finance, and academic advance, don't we? Oh, he went to Jared. We all happy. But what happens when he goes to the justice of the peace and says, you know what? It's not just working out. He's at the judge, uh, uh, you know, irreconcilable differences. Are we happy then? Or she? Uh, we, we put our hope in, in our finances, but what happens when the same job who brought you in said, you know what, it's not working out, we're downsizing. And now instead of getting those green slips, you got a pink slip. Then where's your joy? Where's your joy when, when you say it's an academic advance or I finished my college degree, I got my master's, I got my doctorate, I got my high school diploma, and then you discover that there are no jobs available in your field. Where's your joy then? Because Paul is saying you rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances. Rejoice in the one who is constant. And why do you rejoice in the one who is constant? Because the Lord is coming. That's number two. Y'all, he gave me 45 minutes, so y'all just stay with me now. The Lord is constant. Watch this. When he says that the Lord is constant, it says here that the Lord is constant and the Lord is coming. Verse five, he says, the Lord is is near. So therefore, our gentleness should be made evident to all. Why? Because if the Lord is near, that means that he is spatially near and he is also temporally near. In other words, he is right around the corner. The imminent return of Christ means that Jesus Christ can come back to this earth to reclaim his bride before I finish my next breath. 
And do y'all know why it's so hard for us to fight for this joy? And here's the reason. Because we are not reading and meditating on his word. Do y'all know it's hard for a preacher to point people to the word if the only time we're in the word is on Sunday morning? It's almost like a preacher or a pastor is up here and he feels like like the parents on, on, on Charlie Brown. You know, every time they talk, they, all you would hear was what? But do you know when you are meditating in the word, the Holy Spirit resonates with your spirit so that now you see that you have the sword of the spirit ready to do battle against the enemies that are trying to kill your joy? Because now the Holy Spirit reminds you of the imminent return of Christ, that Jesus Christ is right around the corner. He can come back today. Now you ask yourself the question, why am I worried? Instead of looking down, you start looking up. Come on back, Jesus. Come on back. I'm ready, but if you, if you wait, it's more fruitful for me to be on this earth so I can minister to everyone I see. This is what Paul is saying. The Lord is constant. The Lord is coming. But he also says that the Lord cares. How do I know? Because he says in verse 6 that we should do what? We should pray. And that should increase our joy. Because he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why should that increase our joy? Because it says that God wants us to be specific in our prayers and he knows all things. Why would an all-knowing God tell me to pray if he already knows what I'm going through? Because this God knows that I don't know what tomorrow holds. But this God knows that I should know that he holds tomorrow. And so he says there's a way to pray. And here it is. He says, notice now, your prayer and petition, specificity with, watch this, thanksgiving. You are thanking God while you're praying because you know you have a God who actually cares about you. He wants you to have a little talk with him. He wants you to tell him all about your troubles. He wants you to realize that he does hear, but he does hear you. And he does answer in his time. And so the Lord is constant, the Lord is coming, and the Lord cares, beloved. All of these things, Paul reminds us, this is how we experience joy during the Advent season. Because finally, Paul says that the Lord is in control. How do we know he's in control? Verse 7. It says, and the peace of God which transcends all our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do I know that the Lord is in control? Because only God can provide the peace when we least expect it. Do you understand Romans 5, 1 says that you have peace with God because of Christ, but now he's saying you can experience the peace of God because of Christ. You have bookends in Philippians 4. It begins we're rejoicing in Christ and it ends with resting in Christ. 
So Christ is your rejoicing and Christ is your rest because Christ is your joy. Joy is not based on circumstances. It's based on Christ. The way that we remember this, this Advent season is by doing verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, I'm going to be honest with you. I had to do something. I had to remind myself of a couple of things. So I went and I put these pictures in my Bible of my family. Yet to live is Christ and to die is gain. But remember, Paul said, but if I remain in the flesh, it's more necessarily for you. I had to put this picture in my Bible of my family when we graduated. Notice I said we graduated from seminary. And I had to remember that that from day one, my wife has been with me when we were just young college students dreaming about a lot of things that God has accomplished in our lives. And yesterday, as I was reading through Philippians, I was reminded that I had done something that God told me I should never do. I started to place my hope in men's nostrils. Oh, I hope you know what I'm saying when I say that. Because if you don't read Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22, and you'll see exactly what I mean. You see, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says that we should not put our trust or our hope in men's nostrils. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? And the more God started to minister to my heart, reading through Philippians, he started to cause the cynicism that had started to manifest in my heart to dissipate. He reminded me that everything that I've given you, I have given you not for your creature comforts, but because I'm the one who comforts his creatures. And nothing can touch you unless it first asks for my permission. And when I give it my permission, that's because I want you to be a man of character. And you will not grow in character unless I turn up the fire. And when I turn up the fire in your life, you'll start seeing the impurities roll to the top and then I'll just wipe off another impurity. Stop worrying about who's attacking you and start being concerned about the one who's developing you. And the more I read Philippians, the more I said, God, I have sinned against you. I sinned against my wife. I sinned against my sons because I forgot that Jesus is alive and well. And beloved, I need you to know, as God is my witness, they can take my job. They can take my, my, my professorship. I don't care anymore because everything God gave me, he can return it a hundredfold. Because I will stand on the rock solid truth that Jesus Christ is alive and well. And Jesus Christ hates sin and Jesus Christ hates racism. And I will speak against it until he calls me home without fear. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And for my advent, 
God reminded me of my joy. And y'all know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep praising Jesus. Because you've got to keep your eyes on the prize. Because he's worthy of all the praise. Father, we thank you for your grace. And we confess to you, Lord, that there's no one like Jesus. None of us are worthy. We're all just decorated dust. So forgive us when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Forgive us when we think about ourselves too much, because all of that lacks humility. When we think too high or we think too often, it still lacks humility. Help us to think on these things in Philippians 4.8. The things that are pure, that are noble, that are admirable, that are praiseworthy. Those are the things we should be thinking on. And that means we should be thinking on Jesus. Because you are the reason for the season. And our treason was the reason for the season. Because you died in our place. And so, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.